RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. I'm reading from the NZDSOS website, a good win for Dr. Alison Goodwin against the Medical Council of New Zealand. Good news regarding her appeal against the MCNZ, the Medical Council of New Zealand. Right, okay. So before we start, I just need to um, say a disclaimer, which is uh, part of the undertaking with the Medical Council. So the views that I share about about the COVID-19 response differ from those of the Ministry of Health. My views are minority views in that they differ from what the presumed majority of New Zealand medical professionals think. Presumed. I added that in. Okay. <laughs> because, yeah, right. because I don't know how they know what doctors think, because we've never been asked, what is our opinion about COVID? What is our opinion um, about the uh, about the vaccine and about mandates and things? Doctors have never been asked their opinion. So I don't know what the majority of doctors think. It's been impossible to have a discussion with other doctors about their um, their views. And we've talked to Alison about this. So that was as this was an impending thing. Now she's back, Dr. Alison Goodwin, to to tell us about this win. Is it a win, Alison, or is it a partial win? What sort of win is this? Welcome back, by the well, way. Look, oh yes, hello, Paul, and uh, good morning. Um, Yes. Look, yes, I'm taking it as a win. I'm very pleased that the uh, that the courts have uh, reversed the decision of the Medical Council to suspend me because I personally didn't think it was appropriate and that's why I uh, pursued the court action. Um, you know, so I, he, the judge has reversed it. However, he still seemed to think it was appropriate that the... Um, that the medical council silenced me and and censor my voice. So he didn't go as far as to say this is nonsense. This should never have got um, gone this far. What he said was uh, the act of suspending me was too draconian, uh, and the medical council had other tools in its toolbox it could have used to shut me up. Um, and they, it, the medical council, should have used those tools rather than leaping, you know, almost straight to suspension. Um, so yes, he still. I mean, he didn't state it directly, but he still seemed to be of the opinion that the medical council was acting appropriately by um, silencing my voice and censoring me. It's uh, surprising for a learned person of the law to, because it seems like fundamental. Well, I mean, it, it does sort of. Yeah, uh, to me, it, the whole this whole process uh, of the doctors being silenced raises questions about, well, what is the point of being a doctor? You, you know, a, a doctor's not meant to provide their professional medical opinions, and, and why do we get to hear some and, and not get to hear others? And who decides who who the public get to hear? Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, to me, there were wider issues than just my suspension. There's the issue of, of free speech of doctors, of doctors providing medical opinions. You know, not all doctors aren't going to agree on, on one topic you ask you know three or four doctors about the same question you're going to get potentially three or four different answers like lawyers yeah (laughs) okay well let's rewind how did all this sort of come about i I know you kind of uh, explained it last time we talked but that was a while back so take us sort of journey us through the steps leading up to what what has just happened Uh, well well so i guess in 2020 um you know, initially when the whole pandemic was um, announced, I sort of thought, oh, yeah, this will be uh, another one of those things, overblown overblown drama about it. It'll die away quickly. You know, I didn't think it was going to be a thing. And then we got locked down and 
and I thought that was weird and odd. And then as 2020 progressed, you know, nothing seemed to make sense. You know, from a medical point of view, if the intention was the health of the population, there were a lot of things we were doing counter to health. Uh, and there were things that we could have been doing that we weren't doing. So I thought that was odd and and weird. Um, and so I was sort of engaged with as much educational activity as I could be. I attended the webinars with the College of GPs and with the Ministry of Health, uh, you know, trying to learn as much as I could about what was going on. Can I ask you what, what that was like? What, what were those webinars like? What were your, you know, being in those, what were your impressions of those? Because that, oh, well, that well, must have been an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was odd, you know, because the webinar, the presenters present, and then you can type in questions as you're going along. And, you know, some of the questions will get answered, but invariably, you know, a number of the questions wouldn't get answered. And, uh, you know, so I was typing in questions and a number of mine didn't get answered. <laughs> You know, like who was counting the cost of what was going on? So, so they're being selective about who they answered to. Well, I mean, there were time limits on it as well, and so you know, I mean, if there's fifty questions and you've only got time to answer twenty, then you know, you're not going to get through all of them. Was there so, a noticeable bias though as to the questions they were answering? Well, I, I mean, I didn't perhaps appreciate it at the time, but I was getting frustrated, thinking, well, you know, what, when are we going to discuss treatment was one of the main things. You know, we had all these webinars about how to diagnose COVID, how to isolate people, how to, you know. Get isn't treatment the whole point, Alison? Isn't treatment the whole damn point <laughs> of what, everything? That, that's what I would have thought, yes. Yeah, so I was going along wondering, well, when are we going to be, you know, when are we going to discuss how to treat people? What what treatments are working overseas? Because obviously overseas was ahead of us. Uh, when are we going to hear from some doctors who've actually seen patients of COVID? Because, you know, a lot of GPs in 2020 hadn't actually seen anyone with COVID. You know, we'd heard about it overseas, but um, people had been um, whisked off to MIQ or whatever was going on uh, at that stage or isolated. And so only a few doctors had seen them. But, you know, I thought well, it would be interesting to actually hear from those doctors. You know, how sick are these people? Uh, you know, and I was trying to find out with a PCR test as well. You know, we kept hearing about these cases. Uh, and I thought, well, are they actually sick people or are they just positive tests? Because one of the fundamental principles of medicine is, you know, a test, the result of the test, you don't go on the result of the test, you go on the, the symptoms of the patient. And I couldn't tell if these people with positive tests were actually sick people or if they just Well, I a got a positive test, test PCR test. And I had no symptoms at right. all, ever. I know that I d actually didn't have anything. So, right, well, so I, it was impossible to figure out what, you know, asking questions in those webinars, you know, are these people really sick or are they, you know, have they got a cold? Because the logic of that is you have no symptoms, therefore you must be sick. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, just so. Yeah, but yes, a positive test, a positive PCR test is, doesn't make you sick and it doesn't diagnose a condition in the absence of, of um clinical features of the condition um so yeah so i was frustrated during 2020 um uh with the lack of answers to my questions with you know and, and then as the focus was on the vaccine sort of towards the end of 2020 uh you know and i could see that it was going to be pushed heavily and i thought well hang on we've hardly got any data on this um you know i became more concerned and i was looking around trying to find doctors that were going to say well hang on a minute why aren't you know, I guess through throughout 2020, I was looking around wondering why are no doctors saying, well, hang on, you know, is this really the right thing? And then, then I 
saw Simon Thornley um, speaking and I thought, oh, goodness, somebody, somebody else thinks like me. <laughs> I'm not the only one thinking this isn't right. Um, and then Sam Bailey was putting out um, her videos, sort of questioning the same things I was questioning. Uh, but I was still looking around for someone to, to speak, you know, somebody clinical, because Simon was in academia doing his epidemiology. Sam, as far as I understand, was doing her research. She wasn't sort of uh, working with directly with patients um, there. So I was wondering, well, where are the physicians? Where are the GPs that are saying this isn't right? And I thought, well, I'd better say something if nobody else is. It's not like that. It's not like I wanted to be speaking, but I just felt obliged to say or put my voice out there uh, because you know so many members of the public had the same questions I had and weren't getting their answers. So yeah, so I started speaking in late 2020, uh, and then throughout 2021, uh, you know, initially it was on webinars um, organised by Voices for Freedom. Um, and then later in 2021, the Freedom and Rights Coalition did the public meetings and, and public protests and things. And so I spoke at a couple of them and people videoed those and people put those online. Um, and and so then members of the public complained. Uh, I think it was more particularly after the Freedom and Rights um, things that I'd spoken at. Uh, members of the public complained about those to the Medical Council and, and medical doctors as well complained to the Medical Council. I don't know their names. I've only got their... Um... Snitches, basically, <laughs> well, right? So, yeah, yeah. So I've got what they've written, but I haven't got who they are. Um, um, should, actually, that's a very good point. Should, if you're going to do that, if you're going to snitch on people, you need to identify yourself. You need to stand up and say, it's me, don't you? Well, I mean, they would have said that to the Medical Council, but the Medical Council hasn't passed that information on to me. Why, so the why wouldn't Council they do that, know. do you think? Well, I don't know. Isn't that a natural uh, justice well, thing? Well, I mean, you, you would think if they are that convinced that that I'm wrong, they're right. Yes, I mean, I it, It's kind of gutless, right? It's gutless. Well, I think if I was felt strongly enough to complain about someone, I'd, um, I'd put my name to it. But Do you actually know if anyone actually complained? Well, I'm I'm assuming they're valid complaints. They no, no, but how would you? I, I know it's sort of out there, but how would you know if there are no names, no one's identified? You could easily yeah, make well, that well, up. Actually, uh, yeah, that's a reasonable question. I, I, I mean, I've taken it at face value that people have been okay. upset and and uh, and or offended by what I've said uh, and complained. Um, but the thing is, no patients. None of the patients that I was interacting with have complained. Uh, and as far as I know, nobody's demonstrated any harm. Nobody's shown me this person has been harmed by what you said, Dr. Goodwin. Uh, on the contrary, I've had, you know, tens if not hundreds of people contact me in various ways saying, thank you so much. I really appreciated what you said. Uh, I thought I was going mad. You made so much sense. Um, you know, so that, that's that been the overwhelming feedback I've had is thank you so much. I've you know, you've helped me, and I've not had a single person demonstrated that this person was harmed by what I've said and, and done. Um, so anyway, so that so that was. You think that happened. would count for something? <laughs> well, you'd think so, but no, no, <laughs> no, that doesn't count. Um, and so the medical council contacted me in September 2021 to say that they had been made aware that I was speaking publicly on the webinars and um, at the Freedom and Rights Coalition um, gatherings uh, and that they were concerned about what I was saying. Um, Presumably thought, any doctor speaking publicly in favour, they weren't concerned about. 
No, they weren't concerned about people backing up their thing. And I mean, if we th- that's a, an important point to think about who were the doctors we were hearing from. We were hearing from a fairly selective group of doctors, most of whom, in fact, all of whom, as far as I can think of, have positions in academia. You know, they're at, at, if not full time in, in university work, they're at least part time in university work. Uh, you know, a couple of them are working in general practice. A couple of the people we've heard from are working in general practice as well as their other roles. But you, you know, the question that I think journalists need to be asking is, you know, do these people have conflicts of interest? You know, are, are they being funded to say what they're saying? Do, do um, we, have we ever found out about that? Well, I mean, I've got my own personal opinions, um, but, uh, yeah, it's very hard to get the actual, you know, who funds what and who's funding what and what are the strings attached. I mean, with regards to ivermectin, certainly there were strings attached to Andrew Hill's, um, you know, he changed his conclusions to the findings of ivermectin when his university suddenly got a $40 million grant uh, from Unitaid uh, in the UK. And, And so... You know what, what sort of funding's going on to our universities in the back rooms, and, and what and strings are attached to that funding? Meantime, the Centers for Disease Control—I think it's them—have come out and and said it's okay to use now ivermectin to treat COVID. Yeah, well, I mean that's not their role. The, the, the role of the FDA and the CDC is not to sort of decide for doctors what they can treat. You know what no, they no, can but use. To, that's to, the, to flip. Yeah. So why wasn't it okay then? But why is it? Why was it? Horse dewormer then, and why is it now an accepted treatment? I mean, none of this makes any sense. Well, no, no. Well, no, they've got the vaccine into most people, so they don't need to. So it's clear um, the motivation for that. It's it's absolutely clear, isn't it? Well, I mean, I think if you look at what happened with ivermectin, I mean, that's a whole talk in itself, really, ivermectin. But, um, yeah, there seems to be a motive. Like, you you can't have an emergency use. Now, in New Zealand, the language is not emergency use authorization, but that's the language in the states for approving the vaccine. And and there's a a clause in the legislation or whatever the guidance is about emergency use authorization that there can't be any effective treatment. And so, you know, if if it was determined that ivermectin worked, then there was no excuse to... um, to have an emergency use for the vaccines, and the vaccines would have had to have gone through the proper five to ten year clinical trials. Uh, and so any treatment, any effective treatment had to be sort of gotten off the table. So that that's the only, uh, well, you know, that's the explanation that makes the most sense to me for what happened with both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, because I've never been told in 30 years of doctoring that, uh, you know, I can't prescribe a particular medicine you know, if it's, if it's an approved medicine in New Zealand, which both of those two are, then a doctor can prescribe it off-label as long as they've discussed it with the patient and the patient's aware, look, this is not the usual indication of this medication. There may be risks associated with that. Uh, but personally, you know, I think the risks for you outweigh the benefits. So, you know, as long as there's some sort of discussion with the patient about the fact it's off-label, uh, you know, and you've documented that discussion, then it's perfectly appropriate and all right for doctors to prescribe it. So... You know, the the CDC, the Medical Council, the FDA don't have any role telling doctors what they can and can't prescribe. You know, they haven't until the, these last three years. That, that's sort of been an unusual aspect. So because I had um, – I know someone who did have COVID and they um, – two of them in the household, one of them was very sick and having trouble breathing. And they were told on the health line that – there was nothing that could be done, and if you think you're about to die, call an ambulance. Yet there were, as it turned out, 
treatments that mm. could have alleviated that. That's incredibly reckless to let people get mm. into that situation and even tell them over the phone, sorry, I can't help. Good luck. You yeah. know, um, yeah. that, that boggles the mind when you sort of drill into it. Yeah, it does. I, you know, and, it, and it's one of the many things that didn't add up throughout this whole thing. Anyway, I'm um, diverting you a bit from. Yes, yes, we. Yeah, but I mean, suspension. these things come up. So, okay, where were we? Um, you've been in webinars. They, it, you'd come to their attention. Yes, yes, I'd, uh, it had been brought to their attention that I was speaking That's publicly, it. and I had a different opinion uh, than um, than they did. And you know, so then then there was back and forth with the medical council about how to, you know, would I be willing to sign a voluntary undertaking uh, that effectively gagged me, and and I would have meant that I couldn't um, speak. Why did it have to be I, voluntary? Well, that's what they call it. They call it a voluntary undertaking. So you sign it, and nobody knows. It's not visible on the website. Nobody knows, but you you know you know that, well, you as a doctor know that you've signed something, and if you breach the conditions that you've signed, uh, there'll be. Um, that's a standover. Be... That's mafioso standover. That's not voluntary. Well, no, no. So I mean, in the end, I have signed one finally, but it's a, I've changed it to just a plain undertaking, not a voluntary undertaking. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but because they're forcing so, you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, it wasn't voluntary. So I uh, initially I declined to sign it because the conditions that they wanted me to agree to, I mean, weren't acceptable. They wanted me to shut up, basically. And I thought, well, actually, uh, I'm entitled to put my professional opinion out there. Um, and if people disagree with it, then let's have a discussion. Let's let's um, talk about what things you think I've got wrong. Let's look at the evidence together. And let's. Um, I'm happy to change my views and change what I'm saying if someone can show me why I should do so or, you know, what's wrong with what I'm saying. Um, but there was never an option opportunity to do that. So the, the medical council, you know, they, they write things like, uh, council considered that Dr. Goodwin was providing unbalanced, selective, and or inaccurate information about COVID-19 and the vaccine. Uh, or oh, council and they weren't. And they weren't. <laughs> well, that's the thing. They yeah. weren't. No, they weren't. No, so, but, but I mean, there's no, there weren't, initially there weren't any examples of that. There were just all these statements about what I might or might not be doing. Uh, you know, council considers that the public might, from Dr. Goodwin's status as a practicing doctor and the way in which information is presented, reasonably believe they could rely on her view as a medical expert. That, actually, that's an interesting thing you've just said there, because looking at Sam Bailey's case, a very similar thing was said of her too. It wasn't what she said. It was the way yeah. she said it, with hand gestures. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this... This is get this is ridiculous, actually. Well, uh, but 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 that, that seems to be a similar theme. That's all they've yeah, yeah, got. Oh, yes. See, that's uh, all they've got to say. That's why they're saying. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, it's not just restricted to New Zealand. The doctors around the world are getting very similarly worded um, letters. You know, talking about unbalanced, selective, misinformation, uh, you know, that, um, here's another one. Council's view was that Dr. Goodwin's conduct cast doubt on the appropriateness of her conduct in her professional capacity. This gave rise to a potentially significant risk of increased vaccine hesitancy and or scepticism, which had the potential consequences for the health of the New Zealand public in the midst of a global pandemic. You know, so, I mean, it's a crime to induce vaccine hesitancy. Yeah, suddenly vaccine hesitancy is a thing. Well, it's a thing, yes. It's a medical condition and it's a crime. 
Yeah. Um, yeah you know that. I, I mean, the thing is, most people listening to me were already very skeptical. Um, and, you know, it didn't make sense to them. And I'm just saying, well, look. Well, you know, I want people to be fully informed. I want, you know, the public were hearing that the vaccine was safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. And, you know. Well, they, they were hearing that it was a vaccine. Well, though, yes, exactly. Turns out it wasn't it was a, vaccine. a vaccine in the traditional yep. sense. It was a yep. gene therapy. No yep. one would have come within a country mile of a yes. gene therapy. Yeah. So talk about, talk about projection. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Sorry. No, no, so that's right. So there was a lot of information that was missing from the public discussion, and I sort of felt, um, you know, I guess my, my aim, it wasn't, you know, I've been accused of undermining the the um, public health campaign, but my intention was to make sure that people were fully informed and knew what they were getting into, you know, and ideally that people were free to choose. Now, I wasn't able to control the free-to-choose bit, but... Uh, I thought I could help with the the fully informed bit, uh, you know, which is expected part of, you know, medical practice. One of the ethical principles of medicine uh, is informed consent. And so people need to know, as well as the benefits of a uh, medicine or a procedure, they need to be aware of the risks uh, and the uncertainties about it as well. And so there were, you know, a lot of potential risks and there was even more uncertainties about this because, as you say, it was a gene therapy. We hadn't injected this sort of stuff uh, into the into healthy people previously. I mean, gene therapy had been used in limited situations, you know, in terminal cancer cases. So people that, you know, were potentially going to die if nothing was done. Uh, but it certainly hadn't been injected into healthy people. Um, so not only was the messenger RNA, the gene part new, but the lipid nanoparticles were new. Uh, you know, so there were unknowns about, you know, there were and there still are unknowns. Uh, about what was in there. I mean, with the 95% effective, we were told it was 95% effective. Well, any doctor that's been taught about reading journal articles knows that you should discuss the absolute risk reduction, not the relative risk reduction. Uh, and that 95% effective, that was the relative risk reduction based on the outcomes of 170 patients out of the total 44,000 patients in the clinical trial. Whereas the absolute risk reduction, when you looked at the whole 44,000 people in the clinical trial was 0.84%. You know, so the, the public weren't told that. They were said 95% effective, not yeah. realising that was uh, that was the outcome of 170 people. And we're going to vaccinate the whole world on the basis of, of the outcomes of 170 well, people. Well, they, they knew that. Oh, absolutely they knew that. And any doctor that read the, the published trial that was published in December 2020 should have realised that and should have known that. I mean, we're taught about which is the, you know, drug companies like to use the relative risk reduction or relative... Because it looks which, best. Because it looks much better, absolutely, 95%. You know, it's a true yeah. number, 95%. Yeah, but, but the, the context of it needs to be known. Yeah, exactly. The context needs to be put in place. So I was saying that sort of thing. I was t pointing out to people that, you know, you need to understand what this, you know, where the 95% comes from. That 95% thing's interesting because not only was that figure... Uh, it may be a coincidence, probably is. Not only was that figure used for, you know, safe and effective, but also that it was the target. Yeah. It was the vaccination <laughs> target. That's yes, yes. I don't know whether that's a coincidence or whether that was deliberate, but um, yes, 95% sounds good. I mean, is that what AI determines as the most sellable percentage number in a campaign like this to the public? I mean, you wonder. Yes, yes, I don't know. I mean, why 95%? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Who anyway, knows? just thinking. Um, All right. Then what happened? 
Right. Well, so, you know, so the Medical Council had a tiny effort at negotiating this voluntary undertaking, but I declined to sign it because I didn't want to be shut up uh, and I didn't want to have what I could say to patients uh, be constrained. Uh, so I wouldn't um, sign. Can you tell us who you were dealing with then at this point? Is it any individual or is it faceless people? Who who were the individuals? Oh, you were dealing just, with? Well, the, the medical council generally. So they've had their board of um, eleven eleven people, which you know about half of them are doctors and the others are, are lay people, including lawyers. So the eleven members of the medical council make the okay. decisions about what happens to um, doctors in this situation. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, but running parallel to the whole suspension discussion was that they that I had been referred to a professional conduct committee. So that's a committee of two doctors and a layperson who look at all my misdemeanors and decide, you know, what I need to, you know, what needs to be done about me separate. So I was suspended sort of um, in while that professional conduct committee was underway effectively. So I was deemed to be so dangerous to the public that there was nothing else they could do but suspend me uh, while this professional conduct committee was Does that mean take away your ability to make a living in the meantime? Yes, yes. So you have to have an annual practicing certificate. So as a doctor, you're on the medical register, um, but you also have to each year get an annual practicing certificate, which uh, enables you to, you know, to practice medicine. Uh, And so the suspension was they didn't, they took away my practicing certificate effectively. Uh, and so that was, um, so yes, yeah, so after failed sort of mild or small negotiations to get this undertaking wording satisfactory, they decided, yep, suspend me. So that took effect from January last year, 2022. Um, and then this professional conduct committee was doing its thing in the background. Um, but, I, you know, I, I as soon as they'd suspended me, I thought, well, hang on, that's not right. I, I don't want to do that. So then I um, filed the appeal. So the, I was suspended in January and I filed, filed the appeal in the district court in February uh, last year to, so, you know, so the courts could say, well, hang on a minute, that that's a bit draconian. You know, normally suspension is for, uh, you know, people that are addicted to drug, doctors that are addicted to drugs or doctors that are sexually abusing patients or, you know, something pretty serious. It's not public speech that, that that doctors normally get suspended. Oh, so there's a reputational aspect to this, given the historic sort of where the bar is set for this yeah, yeah. to kick in. Oh, well, yes, yes. Suspension is pretty serious. Like yeah. you wouldn't normally be suspended just for talking. Yeah. Uh, but so so Peter, Peter Canada and Matt Shelton had both been suspended just slightly before me, uh, I think in December 2021, uh, but they appealed, you know, so they appealed, went through the same process, and theirs was heard in February. So three months later, their appeals were heard, and again, the courts, you know, overturned their suspensions. You know, so that was a short process. So when I filed my appeal in February last year, I thought, oh, well, you know, it'll be two or three months and I'll have an outcome, and hopefully, you know, they'll decide that it was a bit draconian to suspend me just for speaking. Um, but the appeal sort of dragged on and on, and I didn't really quite – understand and then suddenly in July my lawyers July last year said oh I don't think we can um carry on with the appeal because you don't have a practicing certificate because my practicing certificate had expired you know I'd been suspended in January and then oh, the did they run out the clock Alison is that what they tried to we, do we, the, the certificate expired at the end of February but you know I never got a notice to renew it like I normally had for the past 30 years I'd had a notice each year to renew it hmm. uh, and the medical council never sort of told me, now that you're suspended, this is what you do with your practicing certificate. So I just assumed I couldn't 
I couldn't renew it. So I didn't renew it. So I was going along through the first part of last year thinking, right, the appeal's in place. We're just waiting for the court to get together and and, and have a time. And then suddenly this thing pops up saying, oh, no, we can't carry on because you're not got one. So then I, so I was suspended on the basis of my conduct under Section 69 of the Health Practitioners Competence Assurance Act. Um, and so then in July, when they said, well, you've got to apply for a practicing certificate, I thought, okay, right, well, I'll apply. So I applied for the practicing certificate, and then I assumed that I would still be suspended under Section 69, um, and they wouldn't give it to me. You know, they'd just wait until the appeal process had happened. But then it seemed that a whole new process started uh, in July, and this time they were saying, oh, well, no, we can't issue a practicing certificate uh, because we've got concerns under Section 29. Uh, of the Health Practitioners Competence Assurance Act, which is related to my competence. So it had been my conduct initially, and then it changed oh. to be my competence. How can, how can how can that shift be made? Well, look, I don't know. That's one of the things I don't really understand. So anyway, there was a process then that went on between July and November last year, negotiating backwards and forwards under the Section 29 about, you know, whether they could give me a certificate or not. In the end, they did issue my practicing certificate in November last year, but they placed conditions on it. So the things that I didn't sign with the voluntary undertaking, they effectively put that on my practicing certificate. And so that was in the public arena that Dr. Goodwin must follow these orders. And so that that all went on last year. So I've had a practicing certificate since um, November last year, uh, but I still wanted to carry on with the appeal because I still felt it was wrong that they could the medical council could just suspend me for speaking without you know, without sort of specifically proving that anything I said was wrong. You know, there was a lot of innuendo, a lot of um, suggestions that what I was saying was wrong, but there was never, this statement is wrong and here's the evidence to show that it's right, you know, what what Dr. Goodwin should be saying. Um, and so that's why I've carried on with the appeal um, to over the, over the suspension. And so that's what, what's been in court finally, 16 months after, uh, after the appeal was filed in the court. That's what was heard in, in June, and that's when um, Judge Kelly has said, no, the Medical Council shouldn't have suspended you. You know, they, they had other tools they could have used, other things they could have done. Um, like what? Well, like like putting the conditions on, like what they have done in the end. They've put mm. the conditions on my But even that would have been unfair. Oh, absolutely. And I was appealing. Yeah. I was appealing yeah, yeah, those yeah, conditions yeah. Yeah. Uh, as well. But then in the, in the end, we managed to agree to a voluntary undertake. Uh, well, not agree to an undertaking. Um, and what prompted you to say that? Oh, well, the fact that I'd, um, that they used, they put conditions on my practicing certificate. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, and then I was appealing those conditions. Uh, but in the end, the medical council weren't keen to carry on having to do the court thing. So we did come to an agreement over this undertaking. So I now have signed an undertaking uh, that I will say the disclaimer uh, and an undertaking that I will make. So part of the problem with the... It's um, like one of those Chinese Communist Party struggle sessions is what it sounds like to me. Yeah, yeah. You know? yes, the, the, the problem with the latest undertaking that, that they were wanting me to sign was that... If I was treating patients, I was going to be restricted to what was in health pathways. And so that's like the remdesivir and the molnupiravir. And, yeah, but and that's killed, from what I've read, that's killed people. 
Well, yes, yes. Uh, they, they, I mean, they do have adverse effects and things, but yeah. So I was going to be corralled into using health pathways and only the medica medications approved by the government. Um, and so I said, well, I'd do that if that was what the patient wanted, um, meaning that if the patient wanted something different, I was free to do that. So that's I, I added in if, the, if that was what the patient wanted. And I was and they're okay with that? Did they accept that? Well, I think in the end, they didn't want to have to deal with the um, conditions in the court as well as the suspension in the court. So they okay. did agree to my to that um, undertaking. So I ha have signed an, an undertaking currently, um, but which means I have to do that disclaimer. And um, if patients want to be treated with the health pathways treatment, that's good. I'll do it that way. But if they want something else, then we're allowed to discuss that as well. Do you see any, I don't know, unwinding of this crazy position that they have? It's obviously nutty. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it. It doesn't make any sense. They're making you do things. Uh, the normal, um, you know, informed consent and principles have been thrown out the window. It's so obvious. Okay, so there's that. But do you see any relaxing of that? Are, are, are they coming to their senses? Are you noticing any of that? Well, uh, not not really, not with the medical council, no, because they're still really, uh, you know, clamping down on any doctors that have prescribed ivermectin. Um, but how do they me, possibly I justify just, that? Well, well this is what, what we I don't now. understand. Well, I mean, I, I don't understand how they've ever had any jurisdiction to um, to harass doctors over this, you know, because doctors can legally prescribe ivermectin. Um, and I don't, I just, I, I mean, I guess it hasn't been challenged in court, the whole ivermectin um, thing yet. So, I mean, there are other cases pending, other doctors that are have got actions occurring, and some of those will relate to ivermectin. But, yep, yeah, I'm, I don't, I haven't had it explained to me under what jurisdiction the medical council thinks prescribing ivermectin is a crime that they need to get involved with. Hmm. It's it's all been, you know. There's been plenty of notices to say don't prescribe ivermectin. You shouldn't prescribe it. But you know that's guidelines and advice. Any reasoning doctors, though for it? Any... No, well, not really. No, no. <laughs> you know, no, no discussion of the science. Like, and and this is what's been oh, missing man. these whole three years is there's no been no place to discuss and debate and disagree over the science. It's all been. You know, we're in charge. We're saying we're setting the rules. You'll follow our rules. If you don't follow our rules, we'll make an example of you. Um, and yeah, it's all been very peculiar. Yeah. So th these people are smart people, aren't they? I mean, you know, uh, um, have achieved in their career space and all of that oh, sort yes, of stuff. Yeah. So I, I am assuming that they know what they're saying is BS. They must know. Otherwise, you'd have trouble getting to sleep at night with this um, this contradiction in your head. So, Well, I mean, what would be really nice is actually just to be able to have a discussion, uh, you know, about the they science. Can't, though, and, they can't, though, no, no, because we can't, it unravels no. if there's a discussion. Yeah. Right? No, well, I mean, I'd, it'd be quite good probably at this point to quote what um, my legal uh, person, Adam Holloway, said during the, or, you know, during the submissions he made on my behalf in the hearing, and he, uh, he said, the best response to speech the Medical Council disagrees with is not absolute censorship, but rather for it to have the courage and strength of its convictions. The Medical Council was free to respond in public to Dr. Goodwin's speech and explain, from a position of significant resources, mana, and influence, 
what it considered she had got wrong. By suspending her, the Medical Council has instead created an impression of trying to silence ideas it has no answer to. Yeah. So to me, that sort of sums it up nicely. You know, why can't we have a discussion? Why couldn't the Medical Council, someone from the Medical Council, sit down with me and say, look, Alison, I think these things are, you know, you're not saying these quite right or there's evidence for this or let's have a look at the evidence. Um but there's not, but though, is there? That's there's the never been there's never been a place to do that. In fact, it, uh, there's been effort, large efforts made to make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> that there is no discussion of the science, no discussion of the evidence that we're looking at. You know, as a group of doctors, NZDSOS, you know, we're looking at, at the published science, at the evidence, we're writing about it. Um, but you know, there's no engagement from the authorities. And the the le- the the backup of the legal system is only partially there. Well, mm. uh, but yeah, this is the thing. I mean, I'd had nothing much to do with the legal system before, but you know what I've come to learn from watching four or five court cases over the last two or three years is that the judges and the lawyers they're not trained in science. They don't like science. They don't feel comfortable discussing it. They don't want to go near it. They don't want to make um, opinions about the science. You know, I mean, and the exception would be Sue Gray, who does have a science degree and and a science background as well as a law background. But, you know, it seems that most lawyers don't go anywhere near the science. They're prepared to be involved in miscarriages of justice through that. Well, yes. (laughs) You know, think about that, that, trying to get your head around that. I mean, I'm not trying to be you know, over the top, but that's really what that means. Well, yes, it would be. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking about the the, the, the NZDSOS and NZTSOS case um, about the mandates and, you know, Justice Cook sort of, uh, at least he admitted there were, you know, scientific principles that were in, you know, opposed to each other. Um, but for some reason, you know, we weren't allowed to have any cross cross examination going on, you know, so we couldn't, you know, he couldn't sort of get to the bottom. I'd expected a robust scientific discussion when when we launched into that case, and it was it was bizarre to sit there and listen to all these legal arguments about medical and scientific matters. It just it, it seemed wrong, you know. I don't think the courts are the right place to have discussions about science. Okay, or justice, it seems. In, in these well, matters. yeah, you could anyway. argue about the justice as well. I yes. mean, you you have to you have to think about motives for this because in the end, you you, you know the, these behaviours have to be challenged. And I mean, what what what's your thinking on that? There's the group think. There's the um, you know uh, protecting your livelihood, your materialist your your materialism status. There's all those things, or you're in fear of something. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly the doctors were given the guidance statement in April 2021, and that, uh, you know, I mean, it might not read particularly threateningly to an ordinary person, but the doctors reading that, uh, where it says there is no place for anti-vaccination messages in public health practice, you know, doctors would have taken that to heart to realise that, look, I can't say anything against the vaccine otherwise I'm going to be you know there's going to be action taken against me and then obviously they did take action against those of us who who did 
speak publicly about it. Um, you know, and, and so that's another warning to people to shut up and don't say anything because you, well, you know, well, it's, you're going to be suspended. It's, it's the people telling you to shut up. What's motivating them? Well, yes, I mean, that, that's a good question. What, I mean, my personal opinion is that the Medical Council of New Zealand is getting its uh, marching orders from offshore. Uh, and they're being told because the, it's coordinated. It's a worldwide. Yeah, but they don't have to listen to that, right? I mean, you'd say, "Hey, we're, oh, we're New Zealand. Go, go, who, jump in the lake." Who lane. knows? Who knows what sort of influence is being placed upon the medical council? Either carrots or sticks. Who knows? Or who knows at the, both at the same time. Or both at the same time. Uh, you know, that's where we need journalists that actually ask questions and dig into things and find out. You know what. You know, because the, the, the Medical Council of New Zealand has behaved the same way as the Irish one, the Canadian one, the Australian one, the American one, the well, British you one. Yeah. You know, they're all doing the same thing to the doctors that, you know, ask about ivermectin, that say, hang on a minute, there's dangers with this vaccine. Um, you know, there's a worldwide campaign. It's the same in every country. So it's being coordinated. And, and the same wording, right? The same Yeah, yeah the, same, the same, same language. You know, yeah, Peter McCullough's but you know, hand gestures as the game changing. <laughs> well, I, haven't, I haven't seen that specifically, but well, that's know, in the Sam Bailey thing, yeah. Providing information that's selective or non evidence based or unbalanced, you know, that that sort of language, uh, and doctors have a responsibility to uphold the principles of public health. Um, you know, the the languaging is is the same worldwide. Uh, yeah, so. Yes, I don't know that the Medical Council of New Zealand is acting sort of solely under its own uh, direction. Would the government tell them what to do? Because Ashley Bloomfield seems to be, his tentacles seem to be out there in the world, WHO, he's very high up there. Yes. It seems to be this whole thing that runs through these associations that run through certain organisations, global organisations. Yeah, yeah, certainly. You'd have to the, consider those connections and those relationships, yeah. this, wouldn't you? Oh, yes, yes. And, and I mean, there was a letter, in, I think, in 2020 where uh, Ashley Bloomfield and the Medical Council are communicating, um, I think, about one of the doctors, probably Dr. Bailey and her videos. You know, you can see that they're talking about how to um, get her to stop making videos. Um, Yet he's out there prancing around on TV and, and dancing yeah. around in music videos. And and the Jabbathon. I mean, the Jabbathon, yes. he couldn't freaking write the script, man. Yes. Oh, no, well, uh, there's another interesting point just about what is the practice of medicine? Uh, because when I sort of started speaking publicly, I mean, I hadn't assumed I was practicing medicine by speaking. Um, but apparently public speaking can be the, the practice of medicine. But, ah, good point. Yeah. So that's so, but then you then there's all the people that were practicing medicine, like the TV presenters and the influencers and the media personalities. Uh, and the PhD doctors that aren't medical doctors who were all giving medical advice, you know, publicly. So were they practicing medicine without a license? And why aren't they being sanctioned? You know, so doctors who have a license can't speak publicly, and yet other people who aren't doctors who don't have a license can give medical advice without. We'll get to that <laughs> at some point. I'm telling you, yes. we'll get to that. I don't know when, but we will. Okay, so where does it leave you now? We had at the start your disclaimer. If you are always disclaiming like that, are you just good to, to carry on now? Is that how it works? Well, yes. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm not sure how long that disclaimer has to sit there for. But um, yes, I need to do that disclaimer. I, I mean, also in the background, this PCC, the Professional Conduct Committee, 
um, they met for however many months and gave their report. Uh, you know, and I mean, they didn't come back saying, goodness me, all these things that Dr. Goodwin are saying are wrong and here's the evidence to prove it and this is what she should have been saying. They came back saying that I had been disrespectful to my colleagues and I needed to learn how to communicate. Uh, and so now I have a 12-month re-education program to attend. Oh, so it I've is done... like a struggle session. <laughs> so I've done four of the 12 sessions. So, okay, I'm curious. What do, what does that involve? It is it like one of those prison, you know, courses where you have to look like you're getting something out of it and, you know. Well, no, no I've been sent a list of uh, different articles I have to read, you know, about the quacks and conspiracy theories and confirmation bias. And Do they really think that's – my God, what planet are these people on? Do they really think – oh, crikey. Yes, it's not about – It's embarrassing, so, actually. It's embarrassing. Well, I mean, it, it just—it's like dealing with, with kids old. in the in the sandpit, the playground. The, these people are infantile. Yes. Well, what I'm really wanting is a is a robust discussion of the science about COVID nineteen and about the vaccines, uh, and and about the ethics, the ethics of what has gone on with yeah, mandating well, medical procedures. Yeah. You know, to me, you know, to me, that was a line in the sand. I wasn't prepared to cross. Uh, you, you know, you don't force people to have a medical procedure, um, particularly one that was still in a clinical trial. Yeah, but they would say that they didn't. It was still a choice. But, of course, there, were co there was coercion uh, there was, behind it. There was uh, huge coercion. That's their um, plausible deniability out. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and absolutely, yes, and people are trying to use that as well. But uh, to all intents and purposes, people were forced to have that uh, injection. I hope when you get this material and you're reading it and consuming it, you've got that bright interrogation light on above you just to really drive it home, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. some Nazi guard sitting behind you. Okay, well, that's an um, incredible story. It really is. What a journey, eh? Well, it's been a, it's been a long and interesting journey, and it wasn't sort of um, quite what I'd had planned for these last three years, but there we are. <laughs> I've learned a lot. I've learned about a lot about the law and a lot about the HPCAA, uh, and about the workings of the Medical Council. Okay. Dr. Alison Goodwin, thanks for coming back on RCR. And if there's anything that, um, you know, another twist or turn in the story, we'd be interested in hearing about it. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.